Hello and welcome once again to Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic, pleased to be with you on the internets, presenting you some of my favorite recordings from my own personal collection. It's been a rough week news-wise, both locally and internationally. It seems to be that way an awful lot lately. That could be perception, but my goodness, it's been two years into a pandemic. Yeah, things are easing up. Look, we're still feeling the fear and the effects of it. There have been other things going on weather-wise, violence-wise. It's really been a tough time. So today's program, by happenstance, is a program of music that should be considered good pick-me-ups. Nothing but feel-good music today. So let's start with a really good feel-good work by the French composer Jules Massenet. His fourth orchestral suite, known as the Saint-Pitoresque, is also his most popular. It was composed in 1874. The other three suites are very good as well, but this one gets more play, and for good reason. Its four movements really evoke feeling, mood, and character, which explains why Massenet was one of the greatest opera composers in 19th century France. He can really set the scene. doesn't even need words, as we're going to hear. The four movements are Marche, Air de Ballet, Angelus, and Fête Bohème. We will hear it performed by the City of Birmingham Symphony Orchestra, conducted by Louis Frémaux. Thank you. 
Orchestral Suite Number no. 4, subtitled Saint-Pétoresque by the French Romantic composer Jules Massenet. We heard a bubbling, jubilant performance of it by the City of Birmingham Symphony under the direction of Louis Frémaux. Considering that some of the uh, movements evoke village life and village festivals, it's a good segue into the next disc we are going to hear, which has been a part of my oral listening conscience since my late teens and represents the Balkan part of my heritage, which is on the paternal side, although there's a bit of Hungarian in there as well. Labels like Nunsuch had a series known as Explore. You also had the great Folk Folkways record label, which is still an important part of uh, American life as being absorbed into the Smithsonian Institute, so all their recordings uh, are still available in some way, shape, or form. The point of these two labels and many others was to issue what was known as ethnomusicological recordings, stuff that we now call world music, but at the time it didn't have such commercial viability as the title world music eventually suggested. Whether that's good or bad is hard to say. It's great that music from all over the world, properly known as world music, is heard. But this period was particularly interesting because ethnomusicologists, and it's still a practice, basically did field research by going to villages and towns, wherever, in whatever continent uh, they were interested in the music of, and documented music making that in many ways now doesn't exist. So, for example, um, in what was then Yugoslavia and is now the uh, separated countries of Croatia, Bosnia, Macedonia, Serbia, Slovenia, Kosovo. These traditions have been um, almost lost in performance of music that would have been sung, played by amateurs, but very good amateurs, people who were farmers, were carpenters, but loved music. Nowadays, all this stuff has been cleaned up. I mean, the, the level of performing is much higher than it used to be, and essentially performed by professional musicians. Maybe some of them are, are amateur musicians who make money elsewhere. A lot of musicians have to do that anyhow. But the equivalent I can think of in North American society is how country music was gentrified, cleaned up, and made sounding more professional and less rural, whether that's good or bad as a matter of opinion, by... Uh, by dint of being performed at the Grand Old Opry. Country music now is what country music was even 100 years ago or even 60 years ago. The same thing could be said of folk music from what was then known as Yugoslavia. In 1971, Nonsuch on their Explorer series issued a disc of field recordings by the ethnomusicologist Martin Koenig. In 1968, he attended a folk music festival in Zagreb known as the Međunarodna Smotra Folklora, or the International Folklore Festival. The festival still carries on and is a vital link to cultural past, not only in Croatia, but it attempts to 
link cultures all over Central and Eastern Europe, which, which is really a good thing. It means that uh, there isn't a xenophobia as there could be, uh, and it does happen, within cultures uh, listening or performing their own music. In 1968, the performers at the festival were pretty much all very good amateurs. I had an ethnomusicology professor back in the 80s when I was at university who said that, and, and was predicting this sort of change from the amateur performance to professionals, said that back in the day, the shepherd sitting with his flock in the fields would muse himself, pass the time away by playing on the flute. Whereas today, that is the 1980s, he would sit with a transistor radio and read the paper. Well, I'd say that today, if he isn't pursuing everything or watching everything using some sort of drone, and he is in the, he or she is in the fields, he's probably looking at his cell phone watching cat videos. Yeah, sure, cat videos. Anyhow, the point being is that there was no uh, impetus as time went on, because of recorded sound, because of the radio, to learn repertoire. It was not uncommon back in the day for a singer, for example, to know something like three or four hundred songs. That may sound incredible now, but think about it. That was the only way you knew this repertoire. So some of the singers, some of the soloists that you're going to hear, came from that tradition. 1968 was well over 50 years ago, and a lot has changed. A lot of these villages, by the way, are fairly close to where my father was born in the town of Bielovar. Some of these villages are only about two miles away. Others are about six or eight, uh, two, uh, two miles, two hours away. Others are about six or eight hours away. Croatia is a very, very big country when you think about it. Um, but the music speaks in many ways to a, a simpler time, shall we say. The music is meant to be usually happy. A lot of this music would have been performed at weddings. A lot of songs about bachelors, eligible bachelors, drunken bachelors. It's a tra tradition known as the becherats, which is a term for bachelor. There's a whole series of songs in this genre um, honoring bachelor life at a wedding. Well, there you go. So there's quite a diversity in, in style, which as I say has probably been lost over time, although I wouldn't be surprised that there have been great attempts to preserve as much of this as possible even today. You'll find a rather strident style of, of music from the coastal villages. That's not unusual. Coastal villages wherever tend to have a more strident, uh, direct style of singing and performing. Quite interestingly, you'll hear a number of examples where the harmonic range is no greater than a minor third, and there are parallel minor thirds and minor seconds. That's not by accident. That's a sound quality and a sound um, um, harmony that is very much desired. It's really quite impressive. So, most of the music comes from Croatia, and in this case from the uh, Croatian communities in Bosnia. There is one outlier in this disc, because as I said, practically everything was recorded at this festival in Croatia. But there's one example of incredibly vibrant outdoorsy music from Macedonia, where uh, there are tremendous hills and mountains, so the music making tends to be very loud. You will hear that with the wind instruments, percussion instruments that uh, perform this particular dance um, uh, excerpt. It's the last track on the disc, 
And it's a good thing that it was recorded in Macedonia. As I said, this music is very loud and probably the safest distance to hear this music would have been back in Croatia. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's very loud. I'm warning you that. Um, and uh, yes, you've been warned. But uh, I could say so much more about all this repertoire. I think it's just best to listen to it, to listen to music making from what was then Yugoslavia in 1968 amongst amateurs, people who have gone on. Nobody really knows where. Nobody even knows how many of them survived the Civil War or the War of Independence that broke out in the 90s. This disc was finally issued on CD in 1994. I had the original vinyl when it when it came out and a postscript note on the CD points out that uh, as this disc was being released of course we had the Bosnian War going on and a lot of destruction and damage done to villages and towns. Kinda sounds familiar to certain events even today but none of that. Let's listen to this very pleasing music. Lots of choral singing, lots of instrumental music with a group uh, ensemble known as a tamboritza ensemble. The tamboritza is a plucked string instrument, very common in the area, kind of related to the balalaika. Let's listen now to this field recording from 1968 by the ethnomusicologist Martin Koenig of Village Music of Yugoslavia.
చూస్తూ మూకు ప్రీప్యూరు మెను యూకు తోసెగోయి ఉద్వోరు బాయక
Kavalo. Evo na ga iznova. Da vidimo ko može, ne može. Pokrene svaki svoju. Ruke gori, nogo tvodam. Sedam put u mjestu. Oh, there it is. 
Lepatie hod, ja buke vočka, poňom siedí si rota devojka. Često nagleda na jabuku i spominje svoju težku muku. Niz obraze suzice obara, si jabukom se mlada razgovara. Lepati si vočko od jabuke, na tebi su rumene jabuke. Na tebi su rumene jabuke, na siroti jadnom teške muke. Ja sam se tako rumenila, ono prijemna da kacana bila. Sad je moje povenulo lice, jer izgubim braću i sestrice. Jer izgubim braću i sestrice i sve moje mile prijateljice. Neke su se mlade poudale, a neke su vječni san zaspale. Ko je umro pokonja mu duša, a sirota neka jade kuša. Još od kacan majku izgubila, ja sam svako dobro poželila.
this white button. Wait a minute. I forgot I'm in another room. Hold on. I'm done. Yep, 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 here I am. Don't worry. <laughs> a little bit of teasing there. I told you that last bit of music was quite loud and rambunctious. That's quite virtuoso playing going on there. When you consider that a couple of those reed players are practicing circular breathing. Oh my goodness. So we were just listening to a disc recorded in 1968, a field recording as it were. No, 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 not in a field, but actually at a folklore festival in Zagreb. Music from Yugoslavia, or what was then Yugoslavia. It's actually songs and dances from Croatia, Bosnia, Herzegovina, and of course that one example from Macedonia. That disc is a constant favorite of mine. I've returned to it many times over, whoa, 40 years, I guess. Now, we're in the, at intermission time. You might want to get yourself a glass of Slivovica or something to, uh, replenish your uh, nerves. Nah, nobody's feeling nervous right now. I think everybody's feeling pretty good and pretty happy, and that's the whole point. You are a guest in Dave's Music Room. I'm David Kavlovic. I would certainly like to hear from you from time to time. Drop me an email at kapustadavidyahoo.ca and let me know what you think of the music that you hear or anything you want to discuss music-wise. I also would like to remind you that I have a radio show in Ottawa, Wednesday mornings at 10 o'clock for an hour, a mid-week, mid-morning coffee break in music, entitled Music for a While. Now, it's been a while since I've promoted another podcast, my shameless promotions, as I like to call them, and this one I think is pretty important. A work colleague and friend of mine by the name of John McDonald has his own podcast, which is available on Spotify and through a what we now call record labels. Record labels are bigger than they used to be. This record label called Circus Records from, um, from British Columbia. And it's not spelled C-I-R-C-U-S, by the way. Um, but you'll, you'll get what I'm talking about when you, when you actually hit the podcast I'm talking about. Uh, Circus Records is more than just a record label. These labels now also issue podcast streaming services, downloads. So the concept of records has really expanded because very few people, unlike myself, own a physical object known as a record these days, whether it's a compact disc or vinyl. Yeah, they say it's making a comeback, but it's more a niche market sort of thing. And I'm happy with what I have won't diverge that much into or uh, into that sort of rambling, but the whole point is John McDonald has a very healthy interest in what I would call indie music. Now this interest goes back almost 40 or so years with John himself. He, when he lived in Toronto, although uh, I didn't know him in Toronto, which is interesting, he lived fairly central, so he was pretty close to a lot of the indie music clubs and bars and taverns that would feature a lot of up-and-coming groups in Toronto. Some became very famous, some didn't, but really did indulge in very inventive music at the time, known as punk or even new wave. But independent, interesting music has always been part of the scene and still is, and it is especially so even in Ottawa, where we both are. His show, his podcast, is called Talking Albums, a very interesting play on words, and although you will not necessarily hear any music on his podcast, you will hear him interviewing musicians, talking about favorite recordings, 
um, either of John's or of the musician being interviewed. His most recent episode was one that I helped him um, create, shall we say, because I got him in contact with Rob Pruce, a Toronto area musician originally from Burlington, who's well known as being a founding member of that group called The Spoons. He was also in Honeymoon Suite and is also very well known as a musical director for Broadway musicals, especially Mamma Mia. Rob has a very interesting history in the music industry. He's a very interesting person to talk to. I've known him for many years. He's, he's uh, quite energetic compared to uh, John's rather laid-back way of interviewing. It's an interesting dynamic between the two. I can safely say that both John and Rob listen to this podcast, so please in turn support John McDonald's podcast and this particular episode of uh, Rob Pruss and listen to John McDonald's talking albums. I have posted the Pruss episode link in the playlist for this particular episode. From there, you can navigate your way to the other episodes of uh, John's, and they are well worth listening. I'm saying that right now with an unbiased view, because I think they're very good. If I didn't, I wouldn't be promoting it. That's just the way it is. Now, let's carry on with a very bubbly in its own way, trio, piano trio, by the American composer Charles Ives, who, of course, is an eclectic and eccentric in many ways, but you cannot question the quality of his music and his writing style. He was a genius in so many ways, shape, or form. This piano trio that uh, he composed, he started as early as 1904, but it took him until 1911 to complete. It is not necessarily the most um, outrageous, good word, of his compositions. It is fairly traditional, although there is uh, a lot of syncopated rhythms, a lot of the uh, cross melodies going on, where two melodies or three are going on at the same time that Charles Ives is famous for. And it's not an easy work for a piano trio to perform, but a very satisfying work. The first movement is a lovely andante, not very long, the second movement is a scherzo, which has the initials, it's a, a presto movement as a scherzo, has the initials T-S-I-A-J, which actually stands for this scherzo is a joke. Get it? You know, scherzo, joke, that's what a scherzo means. Anyhow, uh, it's a very interesting movement that actually accelerates in passion, in, in speed, and there are a number of famous tunes occurring within... Um, this particular movement, and I will tell you what they are. You will recognize we're here marching through Georgia, my old Kentucky home, Tarara Boomdie, and Shall We Gather at the River. Very interesting uh, interpretation and interpolation and integration of those tunes. The final movement is stunningly gorgeous, one of the most gorgeous compositions of Charles Ives or anybody in America at this period. And it wistfully ebbs away with a gentle statement of the hymn, Rock of Ages. This is a wonderful trio. Let's listen to it now. Performed by violinist Israel Baker, cellist Edgar Lustgarten, and pianist Alice Shapiro. Charles I's Piano Trio, completed in 1911.
a piano trio composed by Charles Ives, completed in the year 1911. We heard it performed by violinist Israel Baker, cellist Edgar Lustgarten, and pianist Alice Shapiro. Now, one more work. We're going to raise the energy level again because we're going to listen to one of the most uh, exuberant and exciting piano concertos in the repertoire, that being Sergei Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 3 in D minor, Opus 30. While his second piano concerto is considered to be the most popular, many consider this third one, out of four concerti, to be his best composed, and a very difficult work at that. Pianists fear it. I'll get to that in a second. Rachmaninoff composed the work in 1909, and he premiered it in November of that year in New York City with a performance by the New York Symphony Society under the direction of Walter Damrosch. As I said, the work is feared by many a pianist because it is extremely difficult to perform. In fact, the uh, pianist who was uh, the dedicatee of the work, Joseph Hoffman, refused to play it. He said it was not for him. Gary Grafman, the great American pianist, famously quipped, this was a concerto he wished he learned as a student when he was still too young to know fear. Yes, many a pianist fears this concerto. So did Rachmaninoff. He had uh, sanctioned certain cuts within the solo writing, knowing full well that some pianists would feel a bit intimidated by the work, and these cuts he himself at times observed. He wouldn't perform the whole work in his own words unless he had a shot of vodka or brandy in his system. Now, that's quite interesting because there's very little in the diverse and complex repertoire of 19th century piano music and early 20th century piano music that can be very virtuosic that Rachmaninoff couldn't play. But perhaps he was self-conscious about his own compositions and fearing that he would not play them as well as others could. That was a fear. He, apparently, he was very jealous of his friend, Vladimir Horowitz, who could play Rachmaninoff's works better than Rachmaninoff himself, or at least Rachmaninoff thought so. That's a compliment, really. But uh, yeah, his own um, self-confidence levels at times could be uh, tried. In fact, the only way he could write his second piano concerto was after he had gone through bouts of hypnosis. He was so devastated by the failure of his first piano concerto, he couldn't write anything. So he went under hypnosis, and the result was this absolutely gorgeous second piano concerto. But the third is a wonderful work, incredibly brilliant, a three-movement work. The second movement goes straight into the third movement. It is very enjoyable to listen to, even if it is difficult. It's a challenge for both the orchestra as well as the pianist. We're going to hear a great performance of it by an American pianist who was very good at this repertoire. Not as well-known these days as he was when he was alive, and even when he was alive, I don't think he was given as much credit as he was due, and that pianist is Abby Simon. I really recommend finding recordings of Abby Simon online, or even if you want to order some CDs, including this one, because he was a fine pianist. I have not heard a recording of his that I have not liked. One of my favorites is his recording of the two Ravel piano concertos. This repertoire is in his blood. He really understands this late romantic repertoire. So let's listen to pianist Abby Simon now perform Sergei Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto No. 3 in D minor, Opus 30. He is accompanied by the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra under the direction of Leonard Slatkin. 
a good performance of Rachmaninoff's Third Piano Concerto should bring an audience to its feet, cheering and wildly applauding. I'm sure when Abby Simon performed it in public, that happened. We just heard Abby Simon perform Sergei Rachmaninoff's Piano Concerto Number no. 3 in D minor, Opus 30, with the St. Louis Symphony Orchestra conducted by Leonard Slatkin. A fine recording indeed, and there are many fine recordings of this concerto, but this one is especially fine if you ask me. Another great recording I might feature sometime uh, showcases the pianist Earl Wilde in a performance uh, conducted by uh, Yasha Hornstein. That's a very good recording as well. Also, a brilliant recording was done by uh, Vladimir Horowitz, who knew this work inside out, let me tell you. Well, hope you found today's music to be exuberant, joyful, pick-me-up, it certainly was a week that needed cheering up, at least in my mind, and music always does that for me. Do tune in to my radio show as well, if you can, Wednesdays, 10 o'clock to 11, in Ottawa, station CKCU-FM 93.1. You can listen to it online as well. It's called Music for a While, and it's meant to be a mid-morning, mid-week coffee break, just to listen to good music just like I present good music on this podcast. I certainly hope you will join me again next week for some more of my favorite recordings. Until next time, I'm David Kavlovic. Thank you for listening.